I invite you to take a Bible from the pew in front of you or your own perhaps and turn to Hebrews chapter 11 verses 7 to 12. That's page 1430 in the pew Bible. And while you're turning there, let me also say that Garth and Stephanie will be over here with friends huddling for another time of prayer after this service. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 7 through 12. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, also, there was born of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heavens in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore." Father, as I try to unfold this, would you help me speak only the truth? And would you come by your Holy Spirit and put an anointing on the truth that it might have spiritual power to transform the dead into the living, the discouraged into the hopeful, the confused into the clear-seeing, the worried into the confident, the alienated into the reconciled, the doubting into the believing, the blind into the seeing. And Lord, exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that I can think to ask right now, would you bless your people And gather your sheep in Jesus' name. Amen. It's very plain what we've just read, that there are four examples of faith here. Examples of the life of faith, I should say. Noah trusts God and builds an ark. Abraham trusts God and leaves his homeland. Abraham trusts God again and lives in tents instead of building a city. And Sarah trusts God and conceives when she's old. So those are the four illustrations here of a life of faith. How does faith look? How does it live? But now let me put in a warning here, a caution, a, a plea that you not make the mistake in listening to what I'm about to say and reading these verses that so many contemporary Christians make. The mistake that goes something like this. This talk about 
a life of faith here is good. It, it has to do with growth in the Christian life and being mature and being what you ought to be. But it doesn't have anything to do with salvation. Because salvation comes in a moment when you perform an act of faith at the beginning, often described as receiving Jesus as your Savior, or accepting Him as Lord, or asking Him to come into your heart, or praying to receive Jesus. That's the, the way we talk about it. And, and then after you're saved, which happens there, the rest of Christian living is something else. And it may be good, and it may be bad, and it may come, and it may go, but it doesn't have anything to do with that. Now, that's a mistake. It's not a mistake to say Christians have a beginning. Nobody's born a Christian. Every Christian is born again. You're born again. And we are born again through the living and abiding Word of God, which we receive then by faith in an instant, in an act, in a decision, in a transformation called regeneration or new birth or conversion or other names. That has to happen. But what happens then is precisely the beginning of faith. And you live that faith then. You keep on believing that faith. What happens in the Christian life after that is not another thing. There's a mentality that says, get them to pray the prayer, or get them to say the words, or get them to receive the receiving, and then, oh, good, maybe some good things will happen, maybe good things won't happen, but it's done. That's not the way to think about it. It's not a New Testament way. And this book of Hebrews, and this chapter in particular, is written to show what saving faith looks like in life. Now, let me show you why I'm saying this. Go with me to the verse just before chapter 11, would you? Chapter 10, verse 39. This is the leading. You know that in the original, when the writer wrote this book, there were no verse and chapter divisions. So you got to be careful that you don't uh, stop at places where you shouldn't stop. You gotta keep reading sometimes and back up sometimes to get the flow of a writer's thinking. So let's make sure that we see where chapter 11, this hall of faith or hall of fame, is coming from. Verse 39 of chapter 10. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith unto the preserving of the soul. All right, there are two alternatives in life. You can be a shrink-backer, in which case you'll be destroyed, or you can be a believer, in which case you will gain your soul. There is no stopping in the middle and saying, I'm saved, and then something else besides faith goes on here. The faith which saves, preserves. The faith which is real at the beginning, goes on trusting Jesus. If you walk over the dome in an hour, with some tracts or brochures in your hand, 
and you walk in a little cluster of teenagers who are ready to go in there and listen to Marilyn Manson, and you say, there's a way to heaven and joy and peace and satisfaction and forgiveness and cleanness of conscience and acceptance with the living God and you can have it. I've got it. And they say, how do you know you've got it? The answer is not, I prayed to receive Jesus when I was six. Which I did. By grace, for which I am eternally thankful. That's not the right answer. The right answer is, I trust Jesus Christ. I love God. I hold fast to the promises of God. You want to hear some of those promises? It's who you are this morning in your union with God by faith that makes all the difference. I don't care what you've done in the past. Could have been wicked every day of your life up till this moment. Or it could have been squeaky clean and hypocritical to this moment. Or it could have been a life of godliness to this moment. But in any case, the reason you can be assured today that you inherit life is because now you trust Christ. We are not among those who shrink back to destruction. We are among those who have faith unto the preserving of the soul. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I'm just reading now. Reading right on. No chapter division. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The very essence of the faith that preserves you and leads to life is a future-oriented faith. It's future-oriented. You see that in verse 1? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The bottom line basis of faith, that is the thing you hold on to, is promise. God has spoken about the future. Now that leads us into today's text. What I want to do with today's text, verses 7 to 12, is take these four examples of Noah, two of Abraham and one of Sarah, and... Look in those four stories for four elements of the life of faith. Four elements or things in the life of faith that are in everybody's life of faith. All right? So you can test yourself this morning. Are those in my life? Am I believing? Number one. In every life of faith... The Word of God has been heard and is the foundation of faith. God has spoken. He has made a promise. We have seen that He's good enough, strong enough, wise enough to pull it off. And we have banked on His promise. Now, let me show you where I get that. First, verse 7. Noah was warned by God about things not seen. God spoke to Noah. He warned him. Second, verse 8. Abraham was called by God. God spoke to him. He heard him. He's called. Verse 9, at the end of the verse, he's living in tents because he's an heir of a promise. There's the word of God again. Verse 11, at the end of the verse, Sarah 
What is she doing? She is regarding him as faithful who had promised. So there you have it. Noah is warned. Abraham is called. There's a promise to Abraham and there's a promise to Sarah. And those four words from God are what they stand on. This is what they believe. So the first thing is God. God exists and God speaks And when he speaks, he's reliable. And we now have something to take hold of in life. If there were no God, if there were no speaking, there'd be no faith in God. And there'd be no future for us. And we'd all go to the dome and learn how to become gods ourselves. Chuck and Carol Stedham are coming and beginning today as our lead worshipers. And when I thought how to apply this text on each of these four points, I thought I'll just apply it to Chuck and Carol because they are typical of the sorts of things you got to do in the Christian life. They've come here from another place. They've made a move. They've made a decision. They've faced a crisis in their lives. They've come to a point and they've altered a course and they're heading in a new direction. And they did it because underneath their feet is a word of God. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It goes like this. I will supply all your needs according to my riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I will pursue you with goodness and mercy. I will never leave you or forsake you so that you can say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit at Bethlehem. Wait on me and you will renew your strength at this church. You will mount up with wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. I will give you words when you need words, and I will give you wisdom for every new challenge. I will be with you and strengthen you, and I will help you and lift you up and support you with my victorious right hand. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God has spoken. And when God has spoken, believers can stand. They can move. They can go to Istanbul. And they can go to Minneapolis. And they can go to the Dome. Or they can go to the lunch table tomorrow and say, what do you think of those rock groups? And the message of how we can all become gods and exult in defying parents. and What do you think of that? If you got promises under your feet from a living God, you can do things like that. That's point one. Here's number two. The second element in the life of faith after God's promises is the inner response of faith. Now, I'm going to distinguish inner and outer. And it's very crucial that you get this. If you start with the outer, that is, oh, He built an ark, or oh, he left Ur of the Chaldees, or oh, he built, he lived in tents. If you start with that, instead of saying, what was going on inside? First, you know what you get? Whitewashed tombs. Hypocrites. 
performance. Often very moral, upright, American, wave that flag, me and my God. Hypocrisy with no love in it and no faith in it. Here they are. Verse 7. Noah, in reverence, prepared an ark. So let's just take the word reverence first. In reverence, he prepared an ark. When God speaks, brothers and sisters, we shut our mouths. We don't argue with God. We don't blame God. We don't criticize God. We tremble at the Word of God. We're reverent. And that's an inner thing. You might try to put on a reverent front when inside all you're thinking about is a ball game or a picnic or something else that's good in itself but has nothing to do with what's going on in communion with God. Reverence is an inner thing first. And then, secondly, verse 8, at the end of the verse, Abraham says, it says, went out not knowing where he is going. Now, I choose that as an inner response because ignorance is an inner thing. Ignorance is an essential piece of faith. you know that? It is essential that you be ignorant. That is, that you embrace your lack of knowledge about what's going to happen to you if you go to Minneapolis or Istanbul or the Dome. You don't, right? You don't know. And that's crucial that you embrace that as part of what the life of faith is. That's why this story's here. He went out not knowing where he's going. So, the second illustration of the inner response is you gotta embrace your finiteness and your ignorance. You gotta say, I don't need to know how it's gonna go. If you've gotta know how it's gonna go, you know where you're gonna go? To your den where the TV is. That's where you're going to go. But if you don't have to know how it's going to go, you become a Christian. And you go where you're not sure how it's going to go. Here's the third one. It says in verse 10, the reason he lived in tents is because He was looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. Now, the third inner response is looking for a city. And it ain't Minneapolis or New York or Istanbul or Dallas or Chicago or Detroit or L.A. or San Francisco or London or Brussels, or Kampala, or Mbarara, where my son is. It's heaven. A city whose builder and maker and architect is God and who's got foundations that cannot be shaken. 
says over in chapter 12, we'll get to it in a few weeks, Lord willing, we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And so faith inside, as it considers all the unknowns of life, of going to Istanbul, going to the Dome, going to Bethlehem to be the worship minister, it says, what I want to know is, is there God and is He building a kingdom that cannot be shaken? And finally, a glorious new Jerusalem where I will dwell in peace and joy and absolute security with Him forever. If so, I go anywhere with God. And fourthly, how about Sarah, verse 11? Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. When you look out over all the uncertainties that are coming to you tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and you contemplate acts of obedience that might be risky when you don't know what's going to happen, you do what Sarah did. You consider God faithful. That's what the life of faith does, folks. This is not missionary talk. Of course it's missionary talk. It's Christian talk. We, we've got this notion, oh, this is what you read out in biographies. You do things where you're uncertain about whether Brazzaville is going to blow up on Steve and Julie. But missionary, that's missionary stuff. They need this verse. That, this is not written to missionaries. It's written to you. Christianity is a countercultural movement into the unknown short term. Calling for you to consider Him faithful while you're ignorant. That's what it is. Now here come Chuck and Carol. Reverent. Reverent before the Word of God to lead us in worship. There's no ordinary thing here to lead worship. To connect with God on Sunday morning is an awesome thing. To deliver the Word of God and praise through the Word of God and pray with the Word of God and play a harp or a piano or drums with the Word of God ringing in your ears is no small, ordinary thing. It's an awesome thing and we should tremble over it. And they've come emigrating from Canada <laughs> knowing a little bit about where they're going, but not a lot about where they're going because they don't know the details. They don't know 90% of you and how you're going to respond to their ministry. There's a lot of unknowns here, aren't there? But they are looking to God as faithful. Here's the third thing. First thing was that God speaks. The second thing is that there's an inner response. Now the third thing is that there's an external response. A life of faith is lived. First, Noah built an ark. And imagine the ridicule. Verse 7, Noah built an ark. Secondly, Abraham left a secure family in Ur of the Chaldees. Thirdly, Abraham chose to live in tents instead of building a nice secure city for himself. And Sarah, well, 
doesn't say what Sarah did. This talks about her faith and her reckoning God. So I'm just going to say she got the diapers together and she built a crib at 90. And that was not easy to do. This woman's a fool. What's she doing? So it's all there. Now here's the point. Christians live differently than they would if they didn't believe God. Nobody builds an ark in the desert. Nobody leaves a nice, secure, wealthy homeland of Ur the Chaldees to go where he doesn't know. Nobody chooses tents when he's got the wherewithal to build a nice, secure city with walls. And nobody at age 90 gathers diapers and builds a crib for her own baby. The point of this text is very clear. If you trust God, you do things that cannot be explained without God. So test yourself. What are you doing in your life that makes no sense to the world? And can only be explained by God. If there's nothing, tremble. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready to give an answer to the hope, to people that ask you about the hope that is in you. Why would they ask? Has anybody asked recently? The point of this chapter is, faith in a living God first causes an inner revolution of values. Reverencing God, embracing ignorance, reckoning Him faithful, and then it unleashes craziness. And I'll tell you, the church in America today is weak because it looks just like the world in almost every way. Where are the risks? Where is the ark? Where is the leaving? Where are the tents? The cribs, the incubators for new believers. Here come Chuck and Carol. I don't have any inkling about whether there are more Stedhams on the way. It's none of my business. But it is my business whether this ministry in partnership with us bears fruit in newborn babies. And whether... We live in a way that marks us as different. That can only be explained by God. We need, we need God, don't we? To change us. I sure feel it. I feel it. The proneness, even as a pastor, to just settle in. Settle in to a routine that nobody Nobody would even occur to look at and say, 
Why is he doing that? What makes this guy tick? Whoa, that's strange. Lastly, there's first the Word of God, secondly, an internal response, and thirdly, a life change based on that great Word. And now, there is in every life of faith some reward now, but most of it later. Noah, it says, verse 7, was saved and his family through the, through the ark. But it says, notice, he was an heir of the righteousness that accords with faith. He's still an heir. He hasn't come into his full inheritance yet. He's got lots yet to come. He's an heir. Abraham, verse 8. Uh, he did find the promised land. Yes, he found it. He got there. God blessed him. And he, he prospered immensely. But, the text says, he stayed in tents. He lived in tents. Because he, he was looking for something bigger, better, further out than ever he could build. A city whose architect and builder is God. Verse 10. And Sarah, she got her miracle baby. She got him. Isaac was born. But verse 12 describes... Seed like the sands on the seashore. And she never saw them. Though she will. Someday, she'll be a part of every one of them. Faith tastes blessings now and knows that the vast majority of God's promises come true in their fullness later. Let me show you where I see this confirmed at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 39 to 40. Chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. When all is said and done, and all these several dozen heroes of faith are listed, it says, all these having gained approval through their faith, which is no small blessing, by the way, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And I would go on to say, we too must wait until they and we and every kid that's going to be saved in and around the dome, every person that's coming to Christ in Istanbul in the next several years, every relative that you've been pouring out your heart for, and when it's all done, then the Lord stands forth as our exceeding great reward. Chuck and Carol come with their children, and uh, I expect them to be blessed here, just like they will be a blessing. I expect that they'll have a fruitful ministry, and they'll see the salvation of God, and they'll taste and see the glory of God, but it's going to be through a glass darkly. None of us is naive, I hope, that every joy will have its limits. Every fruit that we bear will have its dark bruise. Every relationship will have its disappointment. Every worship service we work hard on will have its critic. 
Every birth and every wedding will be followed by a nearby funeral. Look at chapter 13, verse 14, and with this I'm done. Chapter 13, verse 14, just so that you can see that even on this side of the cross, we don't have a city yet. Abraham was looking for a city, and he lived in tents. He's a sojourner. He's an alien. And now you get this writer writing a few decades after Jesus had gone home to heaven, and he says in verse 14 of chapter 13, Here we have no lasting city. In other words, everything breaks, everything rusts, everything spoils, everything ages, everything rots, except one thing, God. So Chuck, I said in the first hour, I'll say it to you again, what we're about, especially in this service, but all week long, in this church, is seeing God. Knowing God, desiring God, prizing God, savoring God, and spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples.